0: New season out on Spotify soon. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts
1: falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The
2: impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning.
0: From the journal, Trillion Dollar shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts.
2: It's a secret organization full of powerful people, and it was involved in the very founding of America. If you enjoy these episodes on the Freemasons, explore more nefarious groups and the people who lead them on cults. New episodes air every Tuesday, free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Due to the graphic nature of this cult's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of graphic material that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for listeners under 13.
2: Someone has carried you blindfolded through what felt like an endless series of hallways and chambers. You sit in the middle of a room. This is the final stage of your initiation rite. Voices around you guide you through an elaborate recreation of your own murder. Three men pretend to stab you with surprising force. You sink to the floor, gasping for air. They order you to rise up and remove your blindfold. A group of men stare at you with pride. The leader, the Grand Master, extends his hand. You exchange the secret handshake. You now belong to an elite group of powerful men brilliant minds that have held rank with Oscar Wilde, Mozart, and George Washington. You are now a Freemason, part of the most exclusive cult in history. Hi, I'm Greg Poulsen.
1: And I'm Vanessa Richardson.
2: And this is Cults. Today, we're taking a deep dive into one of the oldest secret organizations in the world, the Freemasons, a group that originated as a working union in the Middle Ages and evolved into one of the most exclusive clubs in the world. With them, some of the most important political thinkers developed their ideas and forefronted movements that changed the course of history.
1: You can listen to previous episodes of Cults, as well as all of ParCast's other shows, wherever you listen to podcasts. A new episode comes out every Tuesday.
2: A lot of you have asked how you can help support the show. And if you enjoy the podcast, the best way to do that is to leave a five-star review.
1: You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as at ParCast and on Twitter at ParCastNetwork.
2: Freemasonry is considered to be the oldest and biggest fraternal organization in the world, with approximately 3 million active members in virtually every free country in the world today.
1: It's a society of almost exclusively male members, although there have been some extremely rare inclusions of women throughout their history. They're bound by fellowship brotherhood, and similar world ideology, and their beliefs revolve around a series of secret rituals, mythology, and symbols.
2: The Freemasons are perhaps one of the few societies in the world that pride themselves on secrecy. For hundreds of years, that has arguably been its most attractive trait for potential members. People join them in order to learn their secrets. Because of this, conspiracy theories around the Freemasons have existed from their very early origins. These have included everything from supposed divine connections to the role of biblical kings and medieval heroes in their inception, to their involvement in setting up revolutions in Europe
1: and the United States. Some of the world's most powerful men belonged to the Freemasons, including Winston Churchill, Henry Ford, Voltaire, Mozart, nine signers of the Declaration of Independence, and 13 U.S. presidents. More than once, they've been suspected of trying to take over the world.
2: In reality, the history and goals of the Freemasons are not really about evil secrecy. They were a group of men whose common political and ideological goals managed to transcend and develop through centuries.
1: But before this organization became a school of thought for some of the brightest minds in history, before they were associated with political schemes and secret rituals and possible world domination, the Freemasons evolved out of a group of simple men in the Middle Ages, a group of men with one humble goal, the fair treatment of construction workers.
2: The specific origins of Freemasonry have been highly debated through the years, but the most consistent account is that they evolved from a group of construction workers during the Middle Ages called the Stonemasons.
1: The word mason literally translates to builder or worker. The stonemasons were the people in charge of working with stone and erecting the great buildings and cathedrals of medieval Europe. The earliest records of these groups date all the way back to 674 A.D. in northern England.
2: At this point in history, few men were free. Most people were born into common feudal lands that belonged to aristocratic families and worked lifetime contracts in exchange for shelter and food. They were bound to their occupation, which was learned through apprenticeships with merchants and craftsmen.
1: By the end of the 14th century, craftsmen began to care deeply about the protection and fair treatment of their fellow workers and their products. They began to gather in groups to discuss common issues and concerns, and create rules that would keep all of their work consistent. These groups had to be approved by the lord governing the towns, or by the municipal government. This is how the earliest industry guilds first appeared.
2: Guilds were the groups that controlled the interactions between town officials, lords, and their workers. They negotiated worker benefits, wage protection, and quality control over learned skills and finished goods. In many ways, they were the precursors to what we now know as trade unions.
1: Most craftsmen were bound for life to the estate or town they were born in. But because of their line of work, the stonemasons were the only guild members allowed to serve more than one lord, change jobs, and move from one town to another.
2: They were free men. Hence the root of the name they were also commonly known as, the Freemasons.
1: The Freemasons is one of the longest operating cults we'll explore on the show. To fully understand the evolution of this organization, it's important to understand the world in which the group was formed.
2: Vanessa's going to take over on the psychology here. She's not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show.
1: Thanks, Greg. The Freemasons were unique in that they were the only social group able to leave their villages. The rest of Europe, under the feudal system, were barely better off than slaves. According to Eric Erickson's theory of psychological development, this kind of stagnation can lead individuals to feeling unconnected to others and the world at large.
2: That fits in nicely with what we commonly associate with the Middle Ages— complacency, stagnation, and an over-reliance on the church, as opposed to education and self-reflection.
1: These circumstances made the Freemasons unique and poised them to expand into something beyond a normal trade union. When a group of Freemasons began to work together on a building, which usually took several years, They organized and met as a guild in a common building called a lodge. Lodges were temporary or unfinished structures that could easily be taken down when construction of the main building was completed.
2: Freemasons held constant communication with other lodges in the county to maintain consistency in guild matters. They used these places to initiate and admit new members.
1: The Freemasons had a more complicated system of apprenticeship and membership than other guilds of the time. They made aspiring stonemasons complete three degrees of membership before they could fully belong to the group. If
2: a young boy showed interest in becoming a stonemason, he would be taken between the ages of 10 and 12 to be apprenticed by a master mason. He had to show physical strength, an agile mind, and come from a good family reputation. This training lasted about seven years. During this period, he would have to complete an arduous training process and could acquire three different ranks of membership.
1: The young beginners were aptly called apprentices, the first rank. Few people actually completed this part of the process, so it was only after a boy had put in enough hours of training that his name was entered into the records of the guild. He would then earn the official title of an entered apprentice and could move on to pursue the second rank. When this
2: first apprenticeship period was completed, the boy would be called into the lodge and his master would test his conduct and skills. If found satisfactory, he became a fellow of the craft, the second rank. This meant that he could start working for wages and had a vote and say in the management of the guild.
1: Many stonemasons decided to stay in this rank as it provided them with constant work and a fair living salary. However, some wanted to pursue more complicated work and responsibilities, obtaining larger pay and potential fame. A fellow could then choose to become a master by taking up the contract of a building and hiring other fellows to help him complete it.
2: Once a part of the guild, Freemasons tried to keep their skills secret so that only members would know how to do their job and their employment would remain secure, regardless of where they traveled.
1: This is perhaps one of the earliest instances of Freemasons being associated with secrecy and codes, as they had several handshakes and passwords they used to recognize each other whenever they moved to a new location. Whenever a newcomer arrived into town claiming to be a Freemason, he would have to give the resident master a secret grip depending on his membership rank, and thus be recognized and allowed to join in.
2: This period in Freemason history is commonly known as its operative period, as it mostly revolved around the practical skills and rituals of the group. Several aspects of the operative period in Masonry have been passed on through the centuries and survive in the present-day organization, particularly the division of ranks and their names and the lodge as the main place of gathering and initiation.
1: The medieval stonemasons are the most agreed-upon origin point for the Freemasons, and the one that can be backed up the most by historical evidence.
2: However, many believe that Freemasonry started not with a trade guild, but with a legend about a king, a holy pact with God, and the brutal murder of an architect who alone knew the secret of God's divine will.
1: We'll explore the darker rumors about Freemasonry after this quick break. Now back to the story.
2: By the Middle Ages, groups of workers had come together to discuss work regulations and formed guilds around their craft. The stonemasons, the group of workers behind the great buildings of Europe, were free to travel the continent, recruit new apprenticeships, and meet secretly in temporal lodges. This is usually considered to be the most historically accurate beginning of Freemasonry. But there are several accounts and beliefs that its origins actually trace several hundred years before to biblical times.
1: Many members and scholars of Freemasonry can trace some of the rituals and symbolism of the group to the Temple of King Solomon and to the bloody legend of its builder, Hiram Abiff.
2: Hiram Abiff is known in the Bible as the widow's son. He was the chief architect and master builder of King Solomon's temple which was erected in approximately 1,000 B.C. According to the legend, the king received the design for this temple directly from God, and he gave it to Hiram directly. The temple was intended to store the tablets that held the Ten Commandments.
1: Hiram hired three expert jewel workers to help him with the ornate decorations of the famously complex structure. However, he was very secretive about the design and the particular steps needed to complete it, and the workers became jealous of him.
2: Whenever the workers would ask Hiram for the blueprints to the temple, he would dodge the answer. He would say that it could only be known through a secret word that was given to him directly by God and that he would share it with them once the temple was completed.
1: One night, they waited for him outside the temple after prayer, then surrounded him and asked him once again for this secret word. When Hiram refused, they stabbed him to death.
2: Hiram's alleged last words were, Who will help the widow's son? which became the universal cry for help in Freemasonry. If one member was in need of assistance, they would shout the statement, and another member would show up with help. It is still used to this day.
1: Hiram's refusal to give out any detailed secrets about the temple, which was considered divine information, turned him into a Masonic hero. He became a representation of what members should aspire to be like. On the other hand, the three jewel workers became symbols for the three biggest threats for which any Freemason should be on the lookout— ignorance, fanaticism, and tyranny.
2: Hiram's story became the basis for a lot of Masonic symbolism, ideology, and ritual. Each lodge is designed after the biblical description of King Solomon's temple. The classic Masonic garments are modeled from clothes of that era— and the initiation rite asks members to reenact Hiram's murder during the ceremony.
1: However, as valuable as this legend became for the mythology of the group, there is no historical evidence that either Hiram or King Solomon's temple ever existed outside of the Bible. So the widow's son is perhaps not the most reliable historical origin point for Freemasonry.
2: But there's another legend that many people claim has strong ties to the Masonic beginnings. One that would explain the similarities in rituals and beliefs with another group. It's a legend of mythical crusades, the divine corruption of power, and an organization forced into hiding. It's the story of the Knights Templar.
1: A second theory ties the legends of the Knights Templar, a secret group that allegedly once threatened to take over Europe with the Freemasons, Historical evidence suggests that their paths could have crossed soon after the Templars came into sudden wealth and power.
2: The Knights Templar were a group of fighting soldiers that traveled to the Holy Land during the Middle Ages. Their holy quest was to kill infidels, anybody that wasn't Christian, in this case, Muslims. These journeys were done as part of the crusade movement of the Roman Catholic Church to convert and eradicate non-believers. The knights became rich from plundering and ransacking the treasures of the people they invaded.
1: The Templars began as nine solitary French knights that traveled to the Middle East in the year 1118 to guard a group of Christian pilgrims. When they arrived to the old city of Jerusalem, they were housed in the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which was believed to have been built on top of King Solomon's Temple.
2: It is said that when they were cleaning out the stables to spend the night, they unearthed old buried treasure— which included Solomon's legendary gold, the riches from the plunder of Rome, the Holy Grail, and scrolls that detailed a secret language between God and man, much like the legend of the widow's son had detailed.
1: When these riches appeared before them, the knights found themselves with a unique opportunity. They could expand the reach of the Roman Catholic Empire and obtain outstanding personal wealth, so much for their devotion to humility and humble piety. In 1127, the knights returned to Europe and, under false pretenses of a Muslim threat, convinced the church to sponsor an army of over 30,000 men to invade and forcefully take the land.
2: They plundered the Middle East and even moved on to places in Eastern Europe and the Muslim territories of Spain. Although most of their movements were in the East, they established themselves all over the continent.
1: The Knights suddenly had almost unlimited resources and the support of the most powerful institution in the world. Thousands of miles from the watchful eyes of Rome, they were free to do whatever they pleased. This is to be expected. According to psychology professor Kristen Smith Crow, she observes that the promise of money has a huge capacity to drive people towards unethical behaviors, intentions, and decisions. The Knights Templar were almost destined to become tyrants in their own right.
2: Soon, the Knights Templar became one of the most influential and flourishing organizations in the world. They were an elite group of soldiers and politicians who hid behind the church and plundered small towns on the grounds of religious infidelity.
1: They exploited their resources and forced their beliefs upon the conquered peoples.
2: Their reach was almost as big as that of the Catholic Church itself spanning from the western corners of Spain to the Middle East, and from northern England to the Mediterranean. They were a very small group of people, dealing with incredibly large amounts of money and property. Because of this, they developed and perfected advanced systems of banking, material shipping, and personal security.
1: In addition, a lot of secrecy surrounded their operations. It's believed that they met only at night, And held private rituals in undetermined locations very similar to masonic initiation rites and their lodges
2: with this sudden expansion of wealth and territory in europe the templars decided they wanted to leave a bigger mark and embarked on a building mission they started to sponsor and oversee the construction of large structures and buildings that reflected the religious opulence that they stood for however as rich and powerful as they were they were not builders themselves They did not know the architectural skills or have the mathematical knowledge to do so. So they employed the services of the only people that were experienced and skilled enough to complete the task, the stonemasons.
1: So far, we've used the terms stonemason and freemason pretty interchangeably in the episode. But historically, or at least according to the Knights Templar theory, this is the point in time where the word freemason came into use for the group. In the moment that the Templars hired the services of the stonemasons and their legends became intertwined, the freemasons were born.
2: While the stonemasons carried the lodges, craft secrets, and apprenticeship ranks with them, the secrecy and ritualistic nature of the meetings came mostly from the Knights Templar. It was at this point in time that the two separate ideologies came to be part of just one group. And the Freemasons would carry those ideologies through the centuries, because shortly after their meeting, the Knights Templar would be subjected to one of the bloodiest coordinated massacres in history. By 1307, the Templars were making large fortunes and using them to grow infrastructure and expand politically. They had deviated from their original religious cause. They were gaining more territory and wealth than even the Catholic Church, the people who had originally sponsored them. And now, with the support of the stonemasons, they had structures that nearly outshone those of the Church. Their wealth and power had nearly eclipsed that of some monarchs. For the ruling powers in Europe, it was time for the Freemasons to go. King Philip of France ordered his army to strike down every single Templar on the same day, October 13th, 1307.
1: This sent a shockwave across Europe and was seen by other rulers as a warning sign. They reasoned King Philip must understand the real danger of the Templars. Soon other monarchs began following suit. In a matter of days, most of the unsuspecting leaders of the Templars were rounded up, put into jail, and charged with blasphemy and heresy. This became known as the Templar Arrest. Many people believe this is the origin of the superstition around Friday the 13th. In
2: 1312, five years after the arrest, and following a series of brutal trials and bloody executions, the Pope made an executive order to disband the Knights Templar. However, not every leader and member had been rounded up.
1: It's believed that the surviving members of the Templar went underground and joined the ranks of the stonemasons, with whom they had kept a close and intimate relationship for decades. They asked to be undercover members of the group, which would allow them to travel freely through Europe. Some of them even agreed to learn architectural skills and become proper stonemasons, This is how many believed some of the rituals of the Templars were kept alive, still buried in secrecy. The merging of the Knights Templar and the Stonemasons into a single organization seems like a plausible theory. It's not hard to believe that their paths would cross during the Templars' building initiative, and the Templars probably appreciated the Stonemasons' secrecy and discretion. However, very little historical or physical evidence can substantially back this up.
2: But there's one piece of physical evidence that seems to tie them together, or at least suggest that their societies did merge at some point in time. In 1446, William St. Clair of Rosslyn, one of the most powerful and influential barons of Scottish feudal society, commissioned a chapel to be built on his land. He hired a group of traveling stonemasons for the job and named it the Rosslyn Chapel, after his family name.
1: Today, the Rosslyn Chapel is most famous for being the final setting in Dan Brown's best-selling novel, The Da Vinci Code, precisely because it contains so much Masonic symbolism on the carvings of the structure, and it was designed after King Solomon's temple. The presence of these symbols in Scotland suggests that Masonic culture did in fact travel through Europe with the stonemasons and became ingrained in the buildings they erected.
2: By the late 1500s, there were at least 13 established lodges around Scotland, but they were still unfinished structures that were taken down when the Freemasons left. It wasn't until the turn of the 16th century that the lodges became more permanent and institutional organizations.
1: Records of lodge meetings are considered to be the best evidence of any real organization between Masonic members, The earliest meeting records in existence date back to January 1599 in Edinburgh, Scotland. They were found in Mary's Chapel, which is considered to be the oldest proven, still-standing Masonic structure anywhere in the world. These records prove that at this time, the Freemasons were starting to establish a more formal structure to rule over their guild matters. Instead of meeting in ever-changing buildings through secret passwords— they now had more permanent headquarters and kept documents detailing their rules and rituals.
2: Mary's Chapel is believed to be the first of these headquarters. It originated with a man called William Shaw, who was the Master of Works for King James VI of Scotland. Shaw oversaw the construction and maintenance of all King James properties, and thus all of the stonemasons working in them. He also implemented a new bookkeeping system— That would cover everything from how apprenticeship worked to rituals and rules, most of which had never been captured in any physical records before. He wanted a more formalized structure to keep record of the construction sites that he was in charge of.
1: In 1598, he sent this new method to every lodge in Scotland and urged each lodge to create a new position in the organization, a notary that would keep record of every meeting. That's how lodges began keeping minutes, and how the very first records ended up in Mary's chapel the year after.
2: Up to this point, membership to the Freemasons was strictly confined to men who were involved in the actual craft of design, supervision, and construction of buildings, men that could consider themselves active in this operative period. However, as the societal landscape around them started to shift and their services became less needed and less secret, the rules for becoming a Freemason also began to
1: change. By the start of the 1600s, the ignorance and selective knowledge that characterized most of the Middle Ages was starting to get left behind. With the invention of the printing press, texts and information that were once only available to a select elite became widely accessible to the masses and gave way to renewed interest in politics science and art
2: one of the books that was printed and gained immense popularity among these newly educated people was euclid's elements a collection of mathematical theories It is often considered the most important and influential textbook in history because of its instrumental role in the development of logic and modern science.
1: One of the things that Euclid showed in this text was the direct relationship between numbers and architecture, a skill that up to that point had remained secret only among stonemasons. Suddenly, the one thing that made them indispensable and unique in their craft was made available for anyone to use. Now practically anyone with even the most basic knowledge of construction could erect buildings as intricate as theirs.
2: In addition, a shift in architectural style came with the end of the Middle Ages and the start of the Renaissance and the Reformation. The classic Gothic style of architecture, in which the guild was so well versed, began to die out. So not only were the Freemasons' trade secrets made public, but also irrelevant. Because of this, there is a steep decline in Freemason membership.
1: During the 16th and 17th centuries, there were so few Freemasons that most of the major lodges had to close down. They desperately needed membership dues to stay afloat. Now that the feudal system was disappearing and four higher jobs were less secure, the Freemasons needed capital. They needed to adapt to the times or disappear from existence completely.
2: We'll track the evolution of the Freemasons after this break.
1: Now back to the story.
2: In the 16th and 17th centuries, as the Freemasons became obsolete as a working class, they fought to gain enough capital to keep their lodges afloat.
1: So in what can be considered a simple and logical financial decision, they decided to start accepting non-operative members simply for their money.
2: This meant that people who were not involved in the craft of building whatsoever could suddenly become a Freemason. It had been transformed from a strictly professional guild to a social society. To the surprise of many, the Freemasons ended up attracting some of the biggest political minds at the time.
1: To understand this appeal, we need to look at the socio-political changes taking place at the time.
2: By the 1600s, the Western world had moved away from the religion-centric and faith-oriented ideologies of the Middle Ages. The Renaissance had a newfound appreciation for the classic cultures, a rebirth of liberal arts, and a shift in political thinking, going from strict theocracies and a firm union of church and state to more democratic forms of government.
1: As we discussed earlier, the stagnant psychological climate of medieval Europe allowed the Freemasons to separate themselves from other feudal servants and identify themselves as something special. But as this feudal system fell away and people gained more agency over their own lives, new waves of thinking crested over Europe.
2: At this point, the most progressive Renaissance men had already started to implement the beliefs and values that would evolve into the ideals of the Enlightenment and later, of the Freemasons themselves.
1: The Age of Enlightenment was a period in human history in which the dogma of religion that had dominated the Middle Ages gave way to science and reason as the main way to understand the world.
2: It is believed to have been started in the early 1620s with the so-called scientific revolution in which people like Galileo, Isaac Newton, and Nicholas Copernicus transformed the way we looked at the world through their scientific observations.
1: The Enlightenment radically changed the way men understood and related to almost every aspect of human life and sought to advance ideals like liberty, progress, tolerance, fraternity, and democracy— It also reclaimed the ancient belief that the sciences were intrinsically linked to the divine arts, and that human reason was the only way of reaching full spirituality. In 1649, King Charles I of England was executed on charges of tyranny. That was the starting point for the many changes in government that would come over the next century, and a turning point for the Freemasons—
2: For the time being the church and the state were still tied together and as a last attempt to hold on to that power the church started to actively persecute anyone promoting the views and values of the enlightenment to avoid imprisonment and torture enlightened men had to look for secret places to meet these men were looking for underground meeting spots just as masonic lodges were in dire need of members it was a pair made in
1: heaven Freemasonry was a mix of the worldviews that enlightened thinkers considered essential. It had scientific foundations, embedded in the centuries-old crafts of architecture and mathematics. Its rituals and ceremonies were ingrained with mystical thinking, and the structure and operation of lodge hierarchies and membership were instilled with basic democratic freedoms. Freemasonry became irresistible to these new radical thinkers.
2: This period of time in Masonic history is known as the transition period. Although it first started with only a few non-workers, with time, the new members came to surpass the original guild, both in number and in influence. And it's no surprise, since the Lodges offered these new gentlemen a wide range of advantages by joining.
1: Master Masons were usually very fluent in all aspects of culture, from literature and science to philosophy and politics, and they were known across the continent for their mathematical and architectural skills and contributions, men were actively seeking this exchange of ideas and information.
2: They were also drawn to the lodges for their antiquity and their relationship with divine figures like King Solomon and the Knights Templar. They were fascinated by the Masonic relationship between divinity and science, a belief that they also considered fundamental.
1: But most of all, it gave them a place to socialize and fraternize with other like-minded people, something that they couldn't do out in the open. In fact, the church's condemnation made the organization more attractive to people that had fought hard against religious involvement in government.
2: Soon, a continent-wide network of brothers was created. There was constant correspondence and travel between members who offered each other assistance and charity. Initiation rites and informational meetings were held almost every week. This was their way of gathering socially and drinking together. After just a few decades, Freemasonry had gained an air of respectability among the men of the Enlightenment.
1: They attempted to uphold an image of gallantry by instating very rigid rules of discipline and behavior, in part to keep the strict secrecy that was still enforced on its members. For example, it was common for Freemasons to take trips to the theater, and the group was one of the first to instill the habit of staying quiet during performances. Up until that point, it was common for audiences to yell at the performers and comment out loud among themselves.
2: Because of the sudden demand for membership, lodges quickly recovered from their economic strife and started to charge substantial dues, though these were usually determined by a member's individual ability to pay.
1: And people were willing to pay top dollar to be included in the Freemasons. According to persuasion psychology, scarcity and exclusivity, people are innately triggered to want things that are scarce and exclusive. Being part of something exclusive increases our value as a person. Once they have something scarce or exclusive, they fear losing it and are quick to go to any lengths to secure their new social status
2: which meant that members valued their place among society's most enlightened men and were quick to play along with the secret handshakes and discreet meetings. It added to the prestige and fun.
1: All across Europe, individual lodges started to gain personal identities and personas. Some were exclusively for the noble-born. Others were for students or doctors, some for merchants and even actors. Some lodges banned certain professions while others encouraged them.
2: Most of the Lodges were secular, though this evolved slowly through time. In its early stages, Lodges required its members to belong to whatever religion was most prevalent in the Lodges' home country. But as the Lodges moved more toward the ideals of the Enlightenment, the only requirement was that the potential member believe in any supreme being, regardless of a specific religion.
1: Every lodge was self-governing. Its members elected its leaders and decided how long they could stay in power, much like a democratic government. Every local lodge in a town or county answered to a larger grand lodge, which oversaw the management and growth of the smaller lodges.
2: Some of the most noteworthy men of the time were proven members of a Masonic lodge. These included Isaac Newton, who was an avid proponent of the marriage of science and theology. He was obsessed with King Solomon's temple, and was certain it was the hiding place of the Philosopher's Stone, a mythical rock that allegedly had healing powers, extended one's life, and turned metal into gold.
1: Other notable members included Sir Christopher Wren, one of the great English architects who was asked to head the Grand Lodge, Sir Robert Murray, who was one of the first non-builder people to be admitted to a lodge, and was the founder of the Royal Society of London, and Elias Ashmole, a renowned astrologist, politician, and alchemist at the time.
2: However, the Masonic lodges would not remain simple meeting places for socializing, drinking, and the exchange of ideas for long. Soon, they would become the birthplace for some of the biggest political changes in world history.
1: Government was a common talking point among Masonic members and enlightened men. Up to this point, almost every country in Europe had been under some form of monarchy, and they believed that it was time for a change. They believed that countries should choose their officials in popular elections, where every citizen had a vote, just as lodges managed their internal government.
2: These topics were recorded in Masonic meetings all the way back to 1659, where members would discuss the connection between classic wisdom and national governance.
1: They spoke of treating every man as an equal, something Masonic lodges had been doing from the very start. They valued the role of individual voices in elections. They spoke of religious tolerance and personal freedoms, all of them radical ideals up to that point in history.
2: 1717 marked the most important change in Freemasonry up to that point. On June 24th, representatives of four Grand Lodges of London met at a pub, the Goose and Gridiron Alehouse. They decided to merge their lodges, forming a single premier Grand Lodge of England.
1: They implemented and spread an extensive language of symbols that would bind members together, aimed to develop moral character in society a square, which represents those square of actions and virtue, meaning being honest and fair, a compass, meant to circumscribe someone's passions, and the letter G, which stands for either geometry, the basis of the craft the Freemasons were built on, or God, the one supreme being that all members believe in.
2: The fourth symbol is an intertwined square and compass, and it is the one that is most closely associated with the Masonic movement. It means the combination of an honest and a moral
1: life. These symbols served as a means of secret communication between Masonic members, just like the handshakes had been with the medieval stonemasons. They're perhaps one of the most everlasting legacies of the Freemasons, and they can still be found in structures and rituals of the group to this day.
2: This moment was considered the end of the transition period and the start of speculative masonry, the form that is still being carried on today.
1: By the start of the 1700s, the Freemasons were set in their worldviews and wanted to spread them as far and wide as possible. They thought a radical transformation was necessary for society and government to evolve.
2: Next week, we'll see how members of the Freemasons became the force behind some of the world's biggest revolutions and examine the role of the Freemasons in the founding and growth of the United States.
1: The Freemasons have been the world's most exclusive society for over 500 years. They've reached unfathomable power while maintaining ironclad secrecy. But as their influence became absolute, they started to bury a lot more than secrets. Thanks again for tuning in to Cults. We'll be back with another episode next Tuesday.
2: Some of you have asked how you can help the show. If you enjoy Cults, the best way to help is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. You can find Cults and all of ParCast's podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or on your favorite podcast
1: directory. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram as at ParCast and Twitter at ParCastNetwork.
2: We'll see you next time
1: cults was created by max cutler and is a production of cutler media and is part of the parcast network it is produced by max and ron cutler sound designed by michael langsner with production assistance by ron shapiro paul Mahler, maggie admire and carly madden cults is written by jorge molina and stars greg polson and vanessa richardson